Now, when Amy and I were in seminary, we were like every other seminary couple, right? I didn't know a seminary couple who were there driving, you know, brand new cars and, you know, I mean, just wearing the brand new shoes every week because we were all the same. We were living paycheck to paycheck, broke as a joke, you know? I mean, that's who we were as a seminary couple. And so, uh, man, uh, we... Uh, eventually, after we were at Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, and not long after we got there, uh, we were called to be the associate pastor and student pastor at First Baptist Church in Greenville, Texas. And man, that was a blessing. I mean, it didn't pay a whole lot of money. I was inexperienced. I was a seminary student. But man, it was a blessing. It was a job. Amy was working at the time, put me full-time. She was working full-time, put me through school. And we got this job, and it was a blessing. But one of the great perks of the job was that it came with a free house. Now, uh, it wasn't a parsonage as, you know, a lot of churches, uh, they'll have a parsonage, what they call a parsonage. They'll buy a house, their pastor will live in it, or a staff member will live in it, and, and, and that's all fine and, and all that, but that wasn't that. Here, here, here was the situation. One of the members of the church, he owned the local funeral home in town, and so he needed a place to store his caskets and vaults because he was out of room. So he went into the warehouse district. He went into the business district and land was so expensive and uh, renting stuff was so expensive. And so being a businessman, he decided he's gonna go into an old neighborhood with zero restrictions. So it was an old neighborhood with zero restrictions. And he was gonna buy a house in this old neighborhood and put a large metal building in the backyard, put all of his caskets and vaults in it. He didn't care about the house. He just wanted the storage and it was much cheaper to do this. So he did this right before we moved there. And so he went to the pastor and said, hey, pastor, I've got a, I, I, I've got a house over here. I bought this prop. I've got my metal building up, my caskets and vaults, but the house is sitting there. If Pat and Amy want it, they can have it. And I was like, score, right? Free house. But Amy wasn't as you know excited as I was. She wasn't excited about somebody pulling in, getting caskets and vaults out of your backyard every day, right? And also this house, it, it definitely wasn't, if it was on HGTV, it definitely wasn't fabulous. It was a fixer, okay? Uh, but it was free, and so I was pumped and we moved in. And when we moved in, we noticed, wow, this house has like got some issues. I mean, one of the things, the, the floors were so completely uneven and unlevel. I mean, you'd trip. You'd, I, when we moved our bed in our bedroom, no joke, we moved our bed in our bedroom. And I looked at that bed and I laid in and I'm like, oh Lord, I'm gonna roll out of the bed. It was so uneven, I'm gonna roll out. So I took two of my two old textbooks that were probably that thick each. I put one under each leg on one side just to level that thing up so we wouldn't roll out of the bed. Uh, it, Seth, though, it was great for him. He was, he was about five, and man, he could drop a marble and chase that thing all day because it'd bounce off of every wall in the house. So, uh, you know, what was the problem? I wasn't used to this. Why is it so uneven? Because in East Tennessee, where I grew up, the homes, man, they were, they were not this way. The difference was in the foundation. The difference was in the dirt. The dirt there was so soft that the foundation of the house, everything was shifting, and it was creating a mess in the house. Now, Today, uh, we're continuing this series called Kingdom Secrets, uh, and we're looking at the parables, some of the parables of Jesus. And today, we're going to look at the secret of a good, found, a strong foundation as we look at a parable Jesus taught his disciples about a foolish and wise builder. And his parable uh, he used was talking about a, a, a wise builder who builds his house on a solid foundation. And that house stands the test of time. But there's a foolish builder who builds his house on a very shady, weak foundation, sandy, dirt, soft foundation, and that house crashed and burned. And his deal is uh, not about a house, but your life, like a, a, a structure, 
whether it stands or falls, the storms of life and the judgment in will be determined by the foundation. And so, so let's, let's look at, at the, the, the scripture passage today. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. And if you would not mind standing for the reading of God's word as we honor God's word. Now, you know at the end, uh, what do I say? What do I say? I forgot. I didn't. I'm just seeing if you remember. All right. So let's, uh, uh, let's, let's, let's read the scripture. Words of Jesus in Luke chapter 6. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Do not do what I tell you. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the streams broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on ground without a foundation. When the streams broke against it, Immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. This is the word of, of the Lord. Amen. Amen. So let me tell you what's happening in Luke 6. Jesus' popularity is exploding. He's got people following him from all different walks of life, all across the spectrum of interest. He's got people following him that are uh, curious. They're interested in the sign. Man, we want to see Jesus do some cool stuff, some miracles. I mean, uh, who doesn't want to see that, right? Uh, there's people who are following him who is interested in the blessing. Man, I want to be blessed, and I'm going to be around that, and hopefully some of the crumbs that blessing will fall on me if he blesses somebody else. Uh, who doesn't want that, right? There were some people who were following him because of his teaching. His teaching was uh, authoritative, uh, unlike the other rabbis of his day. It was very authoritative. Uh, it was uh, amazing when he talked, and when he taught, people were just like hanging on every word, and so people were there who wanted him to just to he hear him teach, and there are people who were there that were really followers, who had bought in, who had believed, and so they were all over the, the spectrum of interest, but in this situation, Luke tells us that Jesus lifted up his eyes and said to his disciples. And so he's talking to people who claim to follow him. He's talking to, to what we would consider Christians today. He's talking to his disciples. Now, he, he didn't he always talk specifically to his disciples. Uh, if you'll remember, he squared off a lot with the Pharisees. Uh, the Pharisees, they threw up this facade of religiosity. Man, uh, they wanted you to think they were great. They, I believe, even thought they were great because uh, of how much scripture they knew and how much they went to temple and church and, 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 and they did all the things and people looked at them and said, wow, I mean, they just, I, I want my boys to be like them because look at how right they are with God. I mean, they are God's favorite. God loves them, right? But in, in all honesty, in, in reality, their faith was just absolutely shallow and lifeless and, and really hopeless. And so Jesus here is not talking to the Pharisee. He's talking to the disciples. And here's what he says. He says something that's sobering, really. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? That's a piercing question if you're a follower of Christ. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Because you see, Lord... There's a meaning to the word Lord. He didn't say, why do you call me Savior, Savior? He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord? The word Lord is a, a, a word that means boss. That's what it means. It means authority. 
Uh, it, it means sovereign. It means that if you're my Lord, I submit to your sovereignty. I submit to your authority. You're my boss. I give you my devotion and my loyalty, right? And that, that's what Lord means. And so when he said, Lord, Lord, he's talking about, man, this profession of faith where they have said, Jesus is my Lord. But he says, why do you do that? But then you don't do what I say to do. It, 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 it's just mind-boggling. Uh, do you think that's a question that could be asked today in all of our lives, really? But it, it's a question that we see today. And today, churches are full, and you've heard us talk about, and there's this thing we call cultural Christianity, where people uh, want Jesus as Savior, right? They hear the gospel, and we talk about the soils, right, uh, a few weeks ago, but they hear the gospel, and, you know, the thought comes into somebody's mind is, look, I, 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 without Jesus, I'm I'm doomed, I'm damned, I'm, I'm not going to heaven, I'm going to a place called hell. Yeah, I want that. I want Jesus to save my soul, right? I, I want Jesus to, to, to save me from, from, from hell. I, I, I want that, but I, I don't want Jesus to be my authority. And so this is a, a great question. Uh, you know, we want Jesus for our kids. Man, we want our kids to be safe. We want our kids to be saved, we don't want to think about our kids not going to heaven. We want Jesus for our kids. We, we, we want Jesus for uh, our traditions, right? Because there's, our traditions are cool, man. And Christmas and you got all the stuff. We want Jesus for our traditions. We, we want Jesus for the blessing, but we want Jesus for all the blessings, but not necessarily the responsibility. See, that's the difference in Savior and Lord. And there's this whole thing to where people, you know, we, we, we create this dichotomy between Savior and Lord. Jesus is Savior and Lord, and he is both or he's none at all. He's, he's both or none. Basically, it's what the scripture teaches. But we hear people say, you know, I, 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 I made Jesus Savior of my life at 10, but I didn't make him Lord until I was in my 20s. Now, we know what they're saying, right? I mean, we've, we've all, we've all, listen, I, I, I was saved when I was 10, but there was a period of rebellion in my life where I was the one Jesus was talking to. I did not do what he was, had told me to do. Uh, and so people make this dichotomy, but in reality, to make Jesus Savior, you can't make Jesus your Savior without submitting and surrendering to his Lordship, right? And so, so that's why Jesus asked the question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say. And so to help us, he, he, he tells this story, this parable about two builders, a builder who, whose house does not stand. Uh, the, the storm comes, the wind blows, the waters rise, and the house crashes and burns. And another builder who, who builds his house, and the storm comes, the wind blows, the water rises, but his house stands strong. What's the difference? The difference is in the foundation. And what Jesus' point here is, a life that's built on the foundation of the word of God will stand through the storms of this life and ultimately, in reality, in the judgment of God, okay? And so, so let's look at two things really here about this this parable or point out two things that I think, just two things that you can see that maybe help you get it. As with every sermon, we're not going to uncover every nugget. We, we can't do that, right? Because the scripture is absolutely rich with gold, right? You can't mine it all in any sermon. I mean, you can take a phrase and not mine it all. And so, but I want to point out two things 
here that I think hopefully will help you understand what Jesus is teaching and, and help you build a life with a found, solid foundation. So let's look at the blueprint and the bedrock. First, let's look at the blueprint, okay? Now, Jesus here, his story, it compares and contrasts two different builders who build their dream house. They're building their dream house, same neighborhood, and the construction is complete. The closing is signed. Uh, it's done. They move in, and no longer than they move in, here comes a storm. I mean, and it's one of those bad storms. It's one of those, you know, thunder boomers where it's, you're getting up and getting in the closet in the night and, you know, and, and all those kind of things. And, and, and so the storm brings this, uh, I mean, sustained wind that's damaging, this torrential rain that's, that's, that's coming up and uh, the creeks are rising, the water table's rising, it's a flash flood. And, and all of a sudden, when it's all said and done, one house is still standing and the other has crashed and burned. It's gone. Now, these two houses look very similar, I'm sure. They're built in the same time frame, built in the same uh, probably area. They, they, they look very uh, similar, a lot of similarities. They were, I'm sure they were beautiful homes. They had a lot of curb appeal, uh, but there was one difference. One builder built his house on a shaky foundation. He didn't dig deep enough. He built it on a sandy, dirty, uh, or sandy, shake, shady, shake, shaky foundation. And so when the waves began to come and hit the house, uh, they began to erode until finally it crashed and burned. But the other builder, he dug down deep. And he built his house, uh, he didn't quit digging until he hit bedrock. And he built his house on the bedrock. And so therefore the winds came and the waves crashed, but it didn't erode. And so it stood the test of time. It stood through the trials of life. It stood through it all. And so, so you know, that's the difference is the foundation. I mean, before the difference, here's the difference. Before the framers came in and framed up the walls, and before the hardwood was laid on the floor and the granite put on the cabinets, before the windows were set and the roof line put on, before any of that, before the roofers came, before any of that started, the most important part was the foundation. He dug deep. He dug deep and he built that foundation and he, he had to keep digging. And, and listen, it, it's gonna take more time to make sure your foundation is correct and it's gonna cost more money to make sure your foundation is correct. It's never easy. The easy thing is just to throw up the house, Right? But to spend the time and the money to dig that thing up. If you've, got, if you've built a pool in this area, you know, man, how much money and time it takes to build a pool in this area, right? Because you've got to do some digging and some blasting and you've got to get down. That's what is happening here. And, you know, in that time, in that time frame uh, around the Sea of Galilee, you could think about Middle Eastern weather. Think about the Middle Eastern desert heat. Uh, in, in, in around the Sea of Galilee, it, the sand, the area around it is so very compact, hard in the summertime because of the heat bakes it and the top layer becomes hard. But it's the top layer. When you get a few feet down, what happens is, is you dig up the top layer that's baked and then it just becomes soft, right? So if you really wanna build a house that's going to last, then you have to dig really, really, really deep and spend that time. And this is what Jesus' story about is about. But it, it, it's not about building a house, right? It, it, he's giving us the blueprint. He's using a house to give us the blueprint for how to build a life, a strong foundation in our life. That's the blueprint. 
The first thing about the blueprint is, is the structure, all of our lives are going to look different, right? I mean, when you drive down the road, this house looks different than that house. All of our, our houses, all of our lives are going to look a little different. We come from different places. We might speak different languages. We have different styles and dress. We have different, uh, you know, colors of skin and hair. And I mean, man, uh, we, we have different careers and different jobs and different educations. All of our lives are gonna look different. And as we work out our salvation, that all looks different. But here's the thing, the foundation the foundation, if we are believers in Jesus Christ, our foundation and whether our life stand or fall is gonna depend upon our foundation, okay? So that's the blueprint. The blueprint, the first thing about your blueprint is build your foundation. As we dedicated these children this morning, that's why I was imploring these parents, the greatest thing your kids can do is your, the greatest dream for your child is not that they are the greatest football player or, or the greatest baseball player or the greatest hockey player or basketball player or the greatest lawyer or doctor or, or, or the greatest or even the president of the United States or the vice president. of That's not the greatest dream you can have for your children. None of those are bad dreams. Typically, those dreams are, you know, uh, uh, us trying to live our life through our kids, but or, or even, you know, we just want good things for our kids. It's not bad to have good dreams for your kids. You want good things for your kids. But the greatest, most important, the, 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 the dream that you should spend the most time, the most money, the most effort on is your kids loving God. That's it. That's the foundation. Every other foundation is going to leave them wanting. Every other foundation. If your kid grows up and you pour more money and more time into them being a great travel ball player than you do, and there's nothing wrong with being a travel ball player. I'm, I love athletics. You know that. But if you spend more money, time, and effort into that than you do into Jesus, let me tell you, one day your child's going to grow up and get married, and a storm's going to hit that marriage. And are they going to stand strong? Are they going to collapse? One day, they're gonna have relational issues, career issues, medical issues. Are they gonna stand strong or are they gonna collapse? Well, it depends on their foundation. And a, and, a, and a great travel ball foundation is going to collapse when about the second wave hits. A great educational foundation. I believe in education. I believe in degrees. I've got a few degrees, right? I mean, I've got a few degrees. And so so uh, I believe in all that. But that's not my foundation, my educational foundation's not gonna last beyond one wave, right, when a storm comes. What is your foundation? The blueprint Jesus gives is the foundation needs to be what? It needs to be built on the bedrock. It needs to be built. So what's the bedrock? Well, if we're gonna have a life that stands uh, uh, the trials of today and last into eternity, uh, we must have that solid foundation on the bedrock. And what is that? Verses 47 through and 48 tell us uh, the, 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 what the, uh, the blueprint and the bedrock. It says this, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them. Did you get that? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them. I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building his house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. Jesus tells you the blueprints laying a foundation and the bedrock is the word of God and obedience to the word of God. It's not just the word of God. It's obedience to the word of God. The enemy knows the word. It's not enough to just know the word. All these people were coming. They were hearing Jesus teach. They heard his word. He says, you come to me and you hear my word and do my word. 
right? It's like the book of James, right? That talks about do not be hearers only, but be doers of the word, right? And so the foundation of our life that Jesus is talking about that will help our lives stand the test of time, the trials, the storms, is an obedience to the word of God, an obedience out of love. As we know the word, we love the Lord of the word and we obey him, right? We obey him. And so, so that's the foundation. The foundation is not coming to church, parents. The foundation is not just coming to church. We come to church because why? The word says to come to church. This obedience to the word, that's the foundation, The foundation is not just giving. You see, that's not the end all. That is obedience to the word. Obedience to the word. The word of God's the foundation. Here's what you need to understand about life point. I want you to understand this because it's huge when you say, why do you preach the things you preach? Why do you believe the things you believe? Why do you say the things you say? Because a lot of people, you know, a lot of the things I say, I don't know if you know this or not, but they're not very popular in our world today, Right? Uh, a lot of things we believe is not very popular in our world today. We believe things that are countercultural. Why? Not because we just come down and uh, we didn't just get together our elders and say, "Hey, man, let's just create some controversy." <laughs> man, I, 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 I just I like a little controversy. Let's create some controversy. Let's just go against everything our world believes in. That's not what we did. What do we do? We said, "Hey, we are standing on the Word of God because we believe the Bible is." God's word that contains God's words, okay? That's what we believe. We believe the Bible contains the words of God. These are from God. It's God's revelation. It's his full revelation of himself to his people. That's the word of God. And so, therefore, as I said last week, our number one default search engine is not Google. It's God's word, What does God's word say about? Mm. What does God's word say about? You fill in the blank. There are so many blanks in our world today, right? Think about these kids that we dedicated today. At their age, think about when they are in high school, which will be anywhere from, you know, some of them were maybe a little bit older, a couple of years. So it'll be anywhere from 11 to 13 years. When these kids are in high school, can you imagine what they'll have to sort through and walk through in our world? Can you literally imagine that? I mean, I, I can't, I, I, who, who would have thought 10 years ago we would be where we are today? Who would have thought that your kids would have to be wrestling with what they have to wrestle with today? And so, so what do we go? As, uh, what's our foundation? And why are so many crumbling? You know, today we've got so many kids that are so depressed Depression is higher than ever. Suicidal thoughts are higher than ever in our kids. Higher than ever. Uh, depression, suicidal thoughts. I mean, just, uh, loneliness in our, in our teenagers. Why? Because their lives are not built on a firm foundation and it's crumbling. Marriages are in terrible shape. Uh, uh, I mean, why? Because our lives are not built on a firm foundation and it's crumbling and all these storms and tension that's coming our way, right? And so, so what do we do? So we go to the Bible here at LifePoint, and I want you to understand that because we do not try to, try to just be controversial at all, but we, we have made a commitment and a promise to the Lord, and we will not deviate nor detour from God's word. 
God's word is what we're gonna stand on. We believe that when God said it, that settles it. Doesn't matter if you believe it or not, to be honest. <laughs> when God said it, that settles it. And we want to do it. Now, that's, that's never easy, to be quite honest. It's always easy to not do God's word. It's always easy to not do God's word. But your life's foundation, will it be built on the word of God? He says, the one who receives the word of God and obeys it, right? It's the immovable bedrock. That's what Paul's talking about in the, in, in, to the Ephesians in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, he says in 19 through 21, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. He's talking about those who are Christians, uh, what they once were and what they are now. This is a great identity passage. Listen to what he says. You're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, underline this next passage if you got a hard copy or, or even on your phone, underline it, highlight it, whatever you do. Built, you're members of the household of God. Built, look at what it says. Think about Jesus' parable and now look what Paul says in Ephesians. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now, what is he talking about? Built into, uh, on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. He's talking about their example, their commitment, man, all that. Man, I think that's some plays into it, but here's what, I, he's built on what? What they taught, Jesus being the cornerstone. He's talking about God's revelation, God's word. He, he's talking about that they're built on the teachings of the apostles and the prophets, Right? And, and, and so, so that's what we see happening in, 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 in Acts. Because Acts, if you'll remember, here's what happened in the book of Acts. The book of Acts, uh, uh, Jesus has, has ascended, Luke, and then Acts. Luke wrote, Luke, the gospel, his sequel is the book of Acts. And, and when the gospel ends and Acts begins, Jesus is taken up into heaven. His disciples are afraid. They're gathered together, waiting, as he told them to, on the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. Acts, the Holy Spirit comes, invades the life of all believers at one time. Because why? Now sin has been atoned for. And now this is letting us know that the Holy Spirit has invaded. The, the paraclete, the helper, has come. He's invaded our lives, right? Now, uh, he doesn't wait and do that once a month or when we're all together. The Holy Spirit, it comes in, into your life the moment you are saved. The moment you are saved, the Holy Spirit enters into your life. And it, 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 you don't get a little bit of him, and he gives you a little bit more later, and you need a second baptism here. You get all of him. He invades every millimeter of your soul. If you can even measure your soul, he invades everything, okay? And then, so he invades you, and then what happened was Peter stood up and preached, and, and man, when he preached, he had 3,000 people respond to Jesus because he preached in the power of the Holy Spirit, and 3,000 people responded. The church at this point was 11 disciples because Judas betrayed Jesus and went out and hanged himself because he was guilty, and then you had less than 150 uh, uh, believers, and now... 3,000 get saved. You got three, uh, almost 3,200, between 31 and 3,200 believers in Jesus Christ. The church was massive. Now, here's what happened. Immediately, when you looked at the book of Acts, 
man, it's growing and blowing and things are happening every day. People are being saved. There's an awakening taking place, not a revival. A revival is when Christians get right, when Christians acknowledge their sin, confess their sin, repent of their sin. That's revival. We're revived. Awakening typically happens today following a revival because Christians get right with God. They do what God said. Non-believers on the outside see that and go, what is that? And then there's an awakening where God awakens people uh, and brings them into his kingdom and salvation, right? That was what was happening in the book of Acts. There's people being saved daily, it says. Man, there's families that's being radically transformed. There's dads that's all of a sudden, there's marriages being saved. There's kids being saved. I mean, there's whole, now everything is different and the church is exploding in a wicked culture. Our culture is not, uh, uh, you know, uh, less wicked than theirs. Our culture is, is, is uh, not, not, I'm sorry, not more wicked than theirs. They lived in a crazy, uh, polytheistic, uh, Roman culture. And man, God is moving and the church, which gives me a lot of hope about what can happen in our world today. Because we live in a very polytheistic culture. People aren't worshiping, you know, Roman gods of whatever, but they're worshiping money and self and humanism and a lot of different things. And we live in that same kind of culture. And I am hopeful because I know what the Holy Spirit through a church that hears the word of God and does it. Because why was he doing it? Because Acts tells us in Acts 2, that they devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching to prayer, to breaking of bread, to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, they devoted themselves means they didn't just come and hear it, right? They didn't just come and hear it. They did. They came and the apostles taught. It's sort of like in the book of Nehemiah. You know, if you read the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah goes in, God reveals to him that the walls of Jerusalem are, are, have, are still destroyed because they were disobedient, and God sent in enemies who took them captive, took them off as exiles. Now the exiles are coming home. The walls are still broke down. Nehemiah's heart is for the reparation of the walls. And so he goes back by the king's uh, blessing and order, goes back to repair the walls. He repairs the walls. And then the prophet Ezra, it says that he, he, he got out the book of the law, the Torah. He got out the book of the law and they build a platform and he stands on that platform so that all the people who are, listen, it talks about in the book of Nehemiah, who are all the adults and children that could understand, right? Which is what we do right here. They got a platform, that's why we have a stage, so that all the children who can understand and the adults can hear the word of God. And then he read it, and then the priest explained it, which is exactly what we do here. And when the people heard it, Man, they absolutely were broken because they hadn't been keeping it and they were revived. They, they, they confessed, they were, they were convicted of their sin, they confessed their sin, they repented of their sin, they made a covenant with God. Revival took place because of the word of God and the preaching of the word of God, right? And so, so, so that's what Peter did. He preaches the word and 3,000 people get saved. It wasn't because Peter was a great preacher, it's because the word was preached and the Holy Spirit empowered it and people got saved because it was the word of God. All Ezra did in Nehemiah was read the word of God. They explained it and people were broken over the word of God, right? And so, so that's what we do here. And so, so I am absolutely hopeful today about what can happen in our culture because all's not lost because God's in control. I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful about what can happen in our culture with a church that commits itself to the word of God. Not just as a church as a whole, but each individual 
member who makes up the church, if you will commit yourself to the word of God and obeying the word of God, because it's the words of God, and when God says to do something, uh, that's the best way, although we don't understand it always, although it's, it's much easier to not do it. We can have more fun not doing God's word uh, sometimes. We feel like we can make this business deal if we don't do God's word. Uh, we can solve our marriage problem if we don't do God's word, but when we do God's word, it's always right, it always works, and it always brings blessing, because it's God's word. Doing God's word, not just hearing it, right? Doing God's word. So as we, as we look, you know, the, the, the church flourished and exploded and they shook the world because they committed themselves to the word and doing what God called them to do. God simply told them. You remember how Acts starts out? You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. What did God tell them to do? Be my witnesses. Share the gospel. He told them to share the gospel. They did. Man, he told them to do this. They did. Does that describe your life? What's the foundation of your life? What's the foundation of your life? If we want to see our church affect change in our city, if we want to have marriages that thrive, if we want to have kids that refuse to buckle under the pressure of the cultural waves of this world, it's, it's... it's gonna be because we have a foundation in God's word and a commitment to obedience because of our love for him. What's your foundation this morning? That's the question. You see, I know this because here's what I know. I've said this because I know the storms are coming. The storms are coming. Storm of persecution's coming. Storm of ridicule's coming. A storm in your marriage is coming if you're not in it now. A storm with your children is coming if you're not in it now. A storm with your health is coming if you're not in it now. A storm with finances or your career. That's what life is, right? Because we live in a broken world. So you know that storms are coming. You either live, you're either suffering right now or you just came out of it or you're getting ready to go into it. I, I mean, that's I, I, I not a Debbie Downer. Man, I, I'm, I'm just trying to be real with you, right? That's, that's what we know. Storms are coming. Are you gonna stand? Are you gonna collapse? It all depends on your foundation. It all depends on your foundation. You know, six months ago today, I got a call that my wife had died. I was here on Sunday morning. It was absolutely the most devastating thing you can ever imagine. Some of you know. I'm not telling some of you what you don't know. In my case, I, in a, a period of two years, I had, in, in a period of a little less than two years, I buried my dad. Then last year, in Jan- February, I buried my mom. Last year in October, I buried my wife. In a, less than two years. That's some life, isn't it? That's some storms. And, and I want you to know, man, when I lost my dad, uh, that was hard to do. You know, when, when, when you lose your mom, and especially when you're a mama's boy like me, and you know, that was hard to do. But when I lost my wife, that was a whole nother level. I don't believe that there is anything that you can go through, any storm more severe than losing your spouse. 
Losing your kid would be a close second, but I don't believe that there's any storm that would be more devastating if you think about it. Losing your job, so what? You get a new one. You was looking for one when you got that one, right? So what? I mean, you know, losing your job, losing your starting position, so what? See what the Lord's doing with that. You know, I mean, you, you know, getting a pay cut. What? So what? Losing your wife, losing your spouse. I'm gonna tell you it was the most devastating thing I've ever faced in my life. I was broken to the point that I'd never been broken before. I, I didn't wanna preach. I didn't wanna pastor. My future had been stripped away and I had all kind of questions, as you can imagine. I mean, why her? Why me? Why us? You can imagine the questions I had, right? I mean, why, 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 why? I didn't wanna do anything. I didn't want to return text. I didn't want to return calls. I, I, I just, I didn't want to do anything, let alone do ministry. You're talking about a storm. Some of you know. But the only thing I knew to do every day was get up and get in God's word. It's the only thing I knew to do. It's the only thing I knew to do. And I remember, I wrote down in my journal, I was looking through just some of the things. And I remember writing in my journal, I looked through it the other day. It's why it's so important for me to journal anyway, because I forget everything. And so, yeah, I was looking through my journal. One of the things I wrote down, like a day or two, a day or two, the week she died, one of the things I wrote down was, Pat, are you going to believe what you feel? Are you going to believe what God says? What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Because right now you don't feel like any of this, right? Right now you don't feel any of that. Right now, you know, uh, uh, you feel like God doesn't love you. You feel like God made a mistake. You feel like, man, that God's getting you. What, 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 what are you going to do? You're gonna believe what you feel because your emotions will lie to you. Are you going to believe what God says? So the only thing I knew to do was go to God's word. It's the only thing I know to do. And so I, I, I got in God's word and man, I said, I'm going to Job. And I, I started reading Job and I started journaling Job. And, 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 and man, I, I, I just, you know, I come to, I'm gonna be honest with you. I, I was looking at my journal just before church and I wrote down, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I'm gonna be honest with you. I was bumfuzzled by that. I've read that so many times before, but now I'm bumfuzzled by it because the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord when he takes away. Am I gonna believe what I feel or what God's word says? You know, when I, I go through the book of Job and man, I, I start looking at Joseph and how Joseph is, you know, I, 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 heard, I heard someone talking about Joseph and his sons, uh, Manasseh and Ephraim. And so I went and looked at it and it was just amazing because you know, when Joseph went through the prison, he went through slavery, went through prison, man, he was forgotten about. I mean, his life was just one train wreck, you know, of storm after storm, of suffering after suffering after suffering. And after all these years, all of a sudden, he had no clue what God was doing. And all of a sudden, after all these years, all of this was God giving him the second highest position in the land. And I said, okay, God, I, 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 maybe you're not through with me. 
And then, and then this, was, this was the blessing that someone pointed out that I was listening to someone, they pointed this out, that he named his first two sons Manasseh and Ephraim. And Manasseh means that God, God will cause me to forget my suffering. I don't believe you many will forget it. You can't forget that kind of thing, but you're, it, no, you're not captive to it. You can move on. And, and, and Ephraim, because it means that God made me fruitful in my suffering. Okay, God, please help me to be fruitful in my suffering. God, I, I know I'll never forget it. I know that's not what it means, but help it not to hold me back and enslave me and help it not to hold me captive. Help me to drive through it and help me to be fruitful in it. And then here's, it's crazy. We, last fall, we planned to do the book of Ruth. Last fall. But we pushed it. Don't know why, I just didn't feel like we needed to do it. We pushed it. I know why now. We pushed the book of Ruth because to, to today, the book of Ruth is one of those special books in the Bible to me because it was through the book of Ruth that when we pushed it and we did the book of Ruth just a few months ago uh, and uh, as we were doing that book, every week as I was studying and writing, it was like God was pouring oil uh, and, 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 and wine as the good Samaritan over all of my wounds. It was like ointment for my aching soul. As I was reading Ruth, and you got these two women who've lost their husbands, and one lost her son and her sons uh, and her husband, and, and 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 man, they're coming back and they're destitute, and they don't know what to do, and you can tell in the tone of Naomi that she's you know a little uh, a, a little uh, salty because of all this, and 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 Ruth is just so committed to her, and and here's the whole story of Ruth. It's a story of tragedy to triumph. And man, as I read that, okay, God, okay, Lord. And here's what I want you to know, man. It's six months today, and I'm in a completely different place. Uh, no matter how far I go, I always have a long way to go. You, you, you just can't ever forget and recover from that to completely, totally. Uh, but, but I'm in a different place today. I know I've got a future. I know God's gonna turn this tragedy to triumph. I know that. I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. I know it. I know God's gonna make me fruitful in my suffering. I know all that. And I'm standing here today because my foundation was not in money. Because the first wave, if it was in money, who cares? It's gone. It wasn't in position. It wasn't in, 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 in power. It wasn't in possessions. It wasn't in, in experiences. My foundation was in Jesus Christ and his word. And it's not perfect. But that's my foundation. What's yours? Because listen, the storm's coming. You know, I, I, I've been moving through a storm and, and I'll tell you, I'll head right out of this one into another because we live in a broken world. Because we live in a world that's broken by sin. So it's not like, oh, I'm glad I got that over. I don't have to do that. I don't have to, you know, go through any more storms, man. It's always storm season in our world because of sin. See, that's the bad news, but the good news is there is a foundation upon which you can be anchored in which you will stand the test of time and you will stand strong in the storms. Ultimately, you know what this 
parable is about? Standing through the judgment of God. Now, if you're ready to stand through the judgment of God, then you're ready to stand through the storms. But ultimately, it's about standing through the judgment of God. The people whose house was built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, their life was built, they will stand. Those who aren't will crash and burn. So I ask you today, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? When he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And, and, and why do you call me Lord? You think I'm Savior, but I'm really not your Lord. Uh, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, man, you can have a foundation that won't take those storms away, but that will help you be anchored in the middle of them. And ultimately, most importantly, will help you when you stand before the judgment seat of God for him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. If you don't know Jesus today, let that be your day. At the end of the service right now, we're getting ready to have a a time of commitment, a time of response because we preach God's word and uh, we need to respond to God's word. So our deacons are gonna be down at the end, at the front on the sides. That would be, if you're in the house, your first place to go if you don't know Jesus and you would like to. If the Holy Spirit's convicting you, if you're online, you can text the word Jesus to 615-551-9800 and we would be glad to help you do that. If you're in the room, the deacons are your first uh, uh, place to go. You can also take one of those cards, fill it out and, and, and check that you wanna know more about giving your life to Jesus, put it in the boxes, bring it to us. We'll call you this week or you can come back and see us. But if you're here, just come and see us, right? Go to the deacons, go ahead. If you uh, don't know Jesus, please respond today. If you do know him, I would ask you, are you building that foundation in obedience to the word of God? Because I promise, I promise you'll be glad you did. You'll be so glad. you. That doesn't mean your life's going to be easier. That doesn't mean your life's going to have less storms. I promise. It means that you'll be able to stand through them when you build your life in obedience to the word of God. How you doing? What areas do you need to go into your foundation and repair the cracks of disobedience and say, no, I'm gonna obey God's word. I'm gonna obey it. I'm gonna know it. You can't obey it if you don't know it. And I'm gonna obey it. Why? Because I'm a fr- No, because I love Jesus. That's why. That's what he's talking about. I'm gonna obey it out of love for Jesus Christ. Where are you, Christian? Where are you? Is he more savior than Lord and you know, I mean, man, I'm glad he saved me, but I, Lord, that Lord means authority. Where are you? Where's your foundation? You respond today to whatever the Holy Spirit leads you to respond. And we trust it's him that's leading you and you respond how he leads. Father, we love you. And God, we are grateful that you have given us a time to meet on the Lord's day to, to preach your word, Lord, and to respond to your word. It has been preached God, to the best of our knowledge and ability, it has been preached as you have revealed it. And God, I pray that Holy Spirit, you would take it now and open the hearts and minds and eyes of people to believe you are who you say you are and you will do what you say you will do and help them to respond. I pray for non-believers right now to be convicted, to be, uh, uh, Lord, convinced, uh, Lord, that you are God. I pray for believers right now who, Lord, are happy for you to be Savior but struggle with your Lordship. I pray that we would make a commitment that you are Lord, Lord, and we're going to obey you and have a foundation that stands the test of time and ultimately the final judgment as we stand before Jesus Christ, our judge. 
We love you. We praise you. We adore you. Help us to obey you right now in what you call us to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.